Hello, this is the Barton Podcast. Barton stands for the Black, African and Asian Therapy Network. My name is Eugene Ellis. It's been a while since the last podcast, but I'm happy to say that we're back. In this podcast, I'm in conversation with two therapists, B. Miller and Suzanne Keyes, who sent out an invitation to other white therapists to a gathering entitled Examining Whiteness, White Identity and Racism. When I initially heard about this event, I was intrigued by how different it could be from other conversations about race, given that this type of conversation doesn't normally happen in this kind of setting. I suspect that other people were curious in the same way. B has been a person-centred counsellor in private practice for over 20 years, and is a long-time member of Psychotherapists and Counsellors for Social Responsibility, and a member of Barton. Susan Keyes has worked for 17 years also as a person-centred counsellor in Newham Sixth Form College, where 13% of the 2,700 students identify as white British. She is also a long-time member of PCSR and has done various workshops with Barton over the years. She was born in Haiti, grew up in Northern Ireland, and before moving to London, she lived and worked in the Ivory Coast and France. B and Suzanne decided to offer this Examining Whiteness workshop because they realised that the unexamined thoughts and feelings about being white in a race society create obstacles to open and healing dialogue with people of colour and also slow down the process of ending racism. They believe that white people need to take responsibility for working through these feelings with each other in order to bring themselves more fully into relationships with people of colour and to get on with the work of eliminating racism. I went to meet them both in Suzanne's office in Newham. I'm with uh, Suzanne and B, and uh, we're in Suzanne's office, and we're going to be talking about the workshop, which was run in September 2017, uh, Examining Whiteness, uh, with our subtitle White Identity and Racism. And so we've known each other in various different contexts, and uh, it was very interesting for me to get an email from you guys saying that this was on. And I was kind of curious as to what that might look like. And I let other people in the uh, Barton Network know about the group. Um, there was a lot of interest, a lot of curiosity. And so I thought, let's just do a podcast and maybe talk to you about how it went. And uh, just sort of get an idea of what actually what happened. Obviously, there's a process that you went through to get to the decision of doing the group together. Um, and it could have been sort of like a light bulb moment or it might have been just built over, over time. So do you want to just say a little bit, um, maybe starting off with B, about, you know, what, what was your process, maybe together or separately, right. that led you to run this workshop? Well, we, yes, I mean, I think we had our separate processes and then our process together. And yeah. I think for me, it's been something that's been building for a long time. You could say building from ever since I started training as a psychotherapist and counsellor, when I was really quite shocked by the whiteness of the world that I was in after working in mental health services in Hackney for some time in the 80s when uh, anti-racist training and racism awareness courses were very, very... Uh, there was a lot of it about. Coming into counselling psychotherapy, it felt like we were sort of regressing to, to sort of 20 years before the place 
where social workers were in terms of examining racism. So I was very struck by the whiteness of the the world of psychotherapy and counselling. The thing that really uh, lit the fuse was the Taboo Conference that was held by psychotherapists and counsellors for social responsibility. Yeah. For me, that was a very powerful experience, and I then went on to do a training, the workshop with Aisha Mavenga McKenzie mm. on black issues. And around about the same time, I think I was attending quite a few of the Barton... The uh, forums? The forums, yes, mixed black and white. Yeah. And it was becoming clearer and clearer that that white people were also affected by the trauma of colonialism and slavery. And that it wasn't really possible to go into that in mixed white and black groups. It will get stirred up, certainly in me, But there was always this fear or tendency or dynamic that my black colleagues would get drawn into soothing me or reassuring me or comforting me or yes. and and that it didn't feel right to be just talking about the pain of being an oppressor. It's really hard to talk about the pain mm. of being an oppressor when you're mm. in the presence of, of the oppressed. Mm. Feels mm. you've got no right to really. Sure, sure. So you you were aware of the obviously the the conversation that was going on in the black community is kind of all around. And then in the context of um, some of the Barton groups and some of the training. And so you were thinking, well, you want in a space for white people to yes. be thinking about maybe maybe more than the, their own um, suffering in that, but I mean, a space to, to see what could uh, develop. Yes, okay. yes. And Suzanne? Yeah, maybe we should just say that the Taboo Conference was a conference organised by members of Batan and also of Pink Therapy, mm-hmm. looking at the taboos within the counselling and, and psychotherapy profession and the discrimination and the prejudice within that. And I think the reason why it was so shocking was that there were lots of um, trainees that came to that conference mm. who were saying that their experience of uh, discrimination, prejudice, oppression within therapy training based on their gender and sexual diversities but also on their race um, and their cultural backgrounds and their heritages was such that they felt you know, that it wasn't a pr- profession they wanted to be part of, they felt excluded, they felt hurt. But yeah. there's been, but there's been groups on diversity, and you know, but all, none, you know, nothing, nothing has changed. I think that's what you know. It was just like people have put so much time and energy into working towards making changes, and mm. yet there's such a lack of recognition of the racism within the profession. Yeah, and just to say that, I think part of that is the intense anger you feel. It's exactly what needs to be processed in the white yes. group. More than that, as a trainer, I felt you know, it's not up to the minority, the one or two black students in this group to bring this up I need to bring this up but I felt I think Mm. because of my anger which is is unprocessed I think I'm realizing now and I think that is I think you're right I think that's why it is good to have a group where I can just let it out um, and try and explore it but I suppose the position that I start from that that helps me is like of course I'm racist you know living in this society as a white person how could I not be racist living Mm -hmm. in a racist society Mm -hmm. I have internalized so much of this that you know and it helps me to think because I just think yes it's personal but it's not my fault Mm -hmm. in a way Mm -hmm. but I do need to have responsibility for Mm -hmm. dealing with it you know because Mm -hmm. I perpetuate it endlessly Mm -hmm. it was such a hot issue for me and yes I wasn't very empathic to what that might stir up 
um, for other people, really. You, you get to a sort of point of no return if you've yes. thought about it for any length of time and you've dug into the, some of the issues. Yeah. Anger is going to be there. Yeah. And um, uh, your experience is very similar to many trainers that I know. Yes. Um, who are also passionate and then, you know, finding themselves in confrontations with students around it. Yeah. And, um, and generally the students, well, maybe some students more than others, um, kind of just don't want to feel uncomfortable around that. Yes. And, they, and then, they, then, they, then they get you. I know. They want you to stop. Yeah. But it doesn't really help the situation, does it? Because it's no. very systemic. Exactly. And, um, it's very systemic. And I think, yeah. you know, we have a responsibility as trainers to yeah. manage it. So, so that everybody feels heard. But I think that's why we need yeah. groups where we can talk about yeah. it and process it so that, you know, could have the humility to really hear all sides. But yes, to be caught up in it, it feels yeah. so powerful when you're in a group. And and I do feel like I'm, I become like a preacher almost. Mm, you know, it's kind mm. of like, you've got to see this. Yeah. Why can't you see this? Um, and that's, you know, for no, for no teacher is that a helpful mm. position to be in really. And so that was part of my journey. And I think then the other part was some, was Batan groups, going to Batan groups. Right. Um, uh, most significantly, this is where we really, this was the spark, if you like, okay. that I went to a group where um, I was the only white person. And right. I kind of didn't expect that hmm. because it was a group for all therapists. You know, yes. and I, I know some of the groups are for people who identify as therapists of colour and yeah. others are me. And this was definitely yeah. me. And it was looking at oppression and racism. Yeah. And I was just so shocked that no other white therapists were interested. Mm. I was just like, yeah. where are they? So I had a lot of guilt about that. You know, that I'm part of a group that aren't bothered, yeah. that didn't seem to care. You know, here's somebody giving us some training yeah. to look at oppression and racism and how to improve the experience of our of clients of colour. You know, and if we, you know, why are white therapists not there? Sure. Um, mm. And there I also heard people in training who were saying, it's shit, no one listens to me, I can't hardly bear it, you know, I don't know if I'll stick it out, yeah. it's so oppressive, um, I feel so excluded. And so I got into quite a despairing place. Mm. But I realised in that training that w there was no place for my despair. It's like you were saying before, it wasn't the place for, you know, it's not the place for white despair or white guilt. Mm. Um, but that needed attending to. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't the group to attend to it. Yeah. And I think I learned a further thing from that, which really shocked me, but which I think is true, is that empathy is very important for me, but it's also part of my privilege that I can go to a group and expect to be empathised with. Yeah. I mean, the focus was on being empathic towards... A black experience. A black experience. Yes. That was where the, where the effort was. Exactly. And um, you're there to get something... Yes. from that experience uh, but your empathy wasn't part of, the, part of the frame exactly, I had to see something about my white identity yeah. which I didn't like and couldn't accept mm. and that's when we started talking about we need to provide a space where we can both look at it with other people, yes. what is yes. our white identity yes, yes with and can we bear the pain of it the pain of, the reality of I have a comfortable life based on the exploitation yep. of generations of black and Asian people. So, I mean, I feel an actual pain of that history, that kind of ancestral history. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a kind of turning point in the past, past three or four years. I think it was 
accepting that history, the reality of my life has been made more comfortable because of the pain and exploitation of others, and the reality of living, being brought up in a, in a racist society, inevitably having racist things going on in my psyche, in my unconscious, Accepting that I am therefore inevitably living out in some way racist attitudes has taken away the fear of being racist. I'm, I'm no longer so scared mm. of mm. being seen as racist. But it's taken me into a pain, pain and sadness is what I experience mm. now. And, mm. I, you know, I, I felt it coming here today. I felt it before the whiteness... Mm. workshop I felt it when we were having those conversations mm. talking about mm. putting mm. on this this whiteness event mm. that mm. I think as a white person a lot of the time you can get away with not, not no. noticing the trauma sure. of racism yes, yes. yes. and I feel yeah. that the past three or four years I can't not notice it anymore yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah and that's quite difficult yeah but it's also well I had all those years of having the privilege of you know, mm. not noticing it. If you're, if you're a black Asian uh, person, you yeah, don't have you, that privilege. No, you don't have the privilege. You, you kind of have to deal with it as yeah. it comes. Yeah. And um, so it sounds like you both went through a, a sort of similar process of kind of seeing your sort of racist patterns, I guess, mm. within you and mm. within, within the world as mm. well. And sort of getting to a point where you could no longer really ignore it. Mm. Yes. It was just there, you know, mm. everywhere you looked, but... Well, it uh, the is. more you looked, the more you saw, and, mm. and then you, you, you could not, you could could no longer not see anymore. Mm. But bef- even before that, it sounds like you you kind of made a decision mm. bef- to, to sort of go into this. You kind of made a decision to sort of step into this area, didn't you? That was your first kind of thing. Mm. And then and then you discovered all of this stuff. Well, yes, because there's two two places of not being able to ignore it. It's not being able to nor- ignore it in a very cognitive societal. Yes. What you read, what you see. But then the second place was not being able to ignore the really difficult feelings inside. Yes, yes. And, and it was that bit that led to the whiteness right. event, for me, anyway. Mm. OK. Once you start to get, to dig into all of the history and mm. everything, you know, I start to open up, you do feel hopeless. I mean, that's just an inevitable part of the process. Yes. But, you know, then how do you deal with that? And yes. it sounds like, you know, setting up, setting up this group was one way of kind of looking at that in some way. Yes. For, for, for yourselves as a, as a, as a group. Mm-hmm. Yes. And as yeah. B said, you know, I get the strong message very often is that black people end up taking care of white people and their emotions. Yes. And it takes them away from their rage or whatever else is going yes. on. Yeah. I've heard that so many times. So yeah. it was just like, we've got to listen to that, you yeah. know. Yeah. Setting up a group which is which is for people who identify as white to freely express whatever it is, is to take away that filter of... Hmm actually worrying about each other or how it might you know kind of how is it for you to hear this from me or you know it was to try and create a space where the unspeakable might be able to be spoken because it needs to be spoken yes because it will be i guess it will be filtered or changed somehow if it's a a mixed group yes because of how racism is constructed um, and if you take you know if you take that take that element out it's going to be a different conversation. Exactly. It's going to be a different conversation. Exactly. So just maybe going back a little bit, you said that, you know, when you were presenting this to other people, what were generally uh, people's responses? I mean, I guess there were... People came, so there was certainly some people who got it. 
Yes, there was quite a wide range of responses. I think there's probably a lot of responses that we never heard as well. I didn't get a response from any white people saying, why on earth would I want to go to that? But maybe they wouldn't say that to us. That all the white people that contacted, contacted and came and said, you know, what a great idea. Yes, this okay. is really needed. That, this, okay. is, this is good. Uh, I think there was about 16 people on the mm. day. I think about 20 people booked mm. about 16 people mm. on the day. We, di- I, we did get, uh, well, I got two contacts from black colleagues uh, challenging the fact that it was... I think somebody said, uh, I hope it's going to be inclusive. And I responded saying, well, no, actually, it's a particular... It's a space that we're creating particularly for white therapists. And somebody else who I had a really interesting dialogue with that's still continuing, who at first was quite... Uh, I think, taken aback that it was just for white therapists. Yeah. And then, because uh, he talked about how can there possibly be... It's really important to have dialogue and we don't want people going into silos. And I felt he was suspicious of what a group white, of white therapists were going to be doing. What we'll be getting up to. In yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Um, he is now very interested in what we're doing and um, said he felt really positive about it. And mm. It felt like... Yes, that he'd kind of shifted and kind of appreciated, yes, maybe there is a need for this. Yeah. Um, and the impression I got from a couple of other black uh, colleagues is that they don't know about the level of guilt and shame that white people feel. Well, they clearly don't see us as having work to do with each other. Yes. They yes. think the issue is in dialogue between... Uh, different races, which yeah. ultimately it is. That's where the problem. Yeah, that's where the problem is. Yes, yeah, so. but I think we have to yeah. backtrack to yeah. sort of, de- as, as Suzanne said, deal with our own shit. I mean, there was a similar process when because when I was set, setting up the groups, I the imagine. Barton groups, mm. yeah, um, just for these particular communities, and so people's first response was, well, "Why do you need to do that? Mm. Aren't you separating yourself?" I mean, mm. I remember getting a, a, a sort of quite a, an intense letter, email from someone about mm. that. Mm. Um, and uh, we, we having a sort of a dialogue uh, via email, and we got we kind of got to a place where she understood where I was coming from, and actually we shared a lot of the same values. Actually, well, the bottom line is mm. we both wanted to, you know, impact racism, to, um, to to think about it, to talk about it. But she originally met, you know, saw my intentions as being something quite maybe separatist. Mm. What would we be getting up to in there? I guess people's um, initial responses is um, to that sort of separation mm. of, of conversations initially is quite strong. Yes. But once they're going to get into the idea of it and maybe think about actually mm. we're dealing with hurt here. That's mm. kind of really what we're doing. We're not trying to separate ourselves. We're trying mm. to actually deal with brown shit and then when we come out into the world we might be able to be, be a bit more robust a bit mm. stronger be able to do some work mm. yes. around racism I mean that's the, that's the idea isn't yes. it actually get some work done mm. and, yes and um, have a clearer dialogue have a sort of clearer sense of yeah. what you're doing mm. and also it's, it's about saying you know what it is very different growing up as a white person and a person of colour and yes. actually where do you talk about that experience in terms of racism and, and, and mm. just acknowledge the difference mm. whilst also wanting to to be in dialogue about it and to to challenge the stuff that, that the structural stuff 
that sets us up against each other, that creates hierarchies. It's a quite a strong narrative, isn't it? Even in sort of infant school, you know, they're all gathered around together. We're all the same, you know. That's yes, the, um, that's and, the diversity um, kind that's, of message. You know, that's the message we give to yeah. our kids. Um, of course, that's that's true, but that's, that's again, that's just that's missing a whole chunk of one person's experience or one yes. group of people's experience. Yes. By not acknowledging that part of it, actually, that racism does have an impact. Yeah, yes. and we don't all get treated the and same. we don't all get treated the same. Mm-hmm. Yes. Somehow saying, you know, we're all the same, but that that conversation doesn't happen, the but part of it. Yes. Uh, generally, so people grow up yes. with that narrative. Like you were saying, it's quite liberating when you can say... You know, I am. I am. How can I not be racist? Yes. Can um, I just include? There was a very warm and supportive response from uh, a group of people from Batten who said they were really pleased. Black therapists were yes. really pleased that we were doing this and were interested in the outcome. And like, yeah, um, Suzanne and I were very heartened mm. by that. Oh, good. It was so nice to get that email, mm. wasn't it? The, the conversations. You know, you've always talked about conversations, and I find that such a useful word. You know, mm. we're having difficult conversations, but yes. it's quite a non-threatening. It's like we're having a conversation. Yes. It's yes. difficult, yeah. but it also opens up the possibility of conversations with, you know, as we were saying, groups that are separate, looking at specific things, whether it be our whiteness or our blackness. But that there are other conversations, like the one we're having now. We're not just in silos. We're having different conversations yes. in different settings, yes. and those are overlapping conversations. And that's why it's really, you know, it's heartening that you've, you're even interested in doing a podcast on it because it's, it that's the kind of, that's an ongoing conversation between mm. us. Mm from different, it's like, what you call those Venn diagrams that overlap and, you know, yeah. it's that yeah. heart of it is actually, yes. what do we learn from the different conversations that come back mm. to other conversations and allow yes. other conversations to happen? Yes, mm. yes, yes. And, yes, and yes, then it's important. a process then, it isn't silos, it isn't yes. segregated silos, mm. it's a process of, yes, as long as, interweaving as, conversations. Yeah. I mean, I think if that is part of, you know, the overall conversations that you're having, you know, this is one conversation I'm having in this group, I'm going to have another one in this group. That's the only way, really, that it should be working anyway, I think, in my mind. Yes. Um, Mm. Coming back to what other people might have thought about the group, I emailed you saying that some some of the people I spoke to who were white therapists were kind of a bit horrified Mm. by the idea. Mm. Maybe they could have told me that, perhaps, and maybe not you guys, I don't Mm. know. I didn't quite get to the bottom of why that might be, but I suspect it might be because, you know, here's this white group coming together, you know, and what that kind of means historically. Yes. Maybe people didn't want to be part of that kind of setup. Mm. Setting um, themselves apart setting or themselves being apart seen as... Or being seen as a separate, separate group. Yes. Where, um, and being seen as a separate group has caused, you know, a lot of... And terror, you know, in the world. So yes. not mm. wanting to be part of that. So um, you know, being generous. That's kind of where I'm sort of coming from from it in terms of what mm. they, what that power might have been. The thing is, I think about. it's even more terrifying not to acknowledge the invisibility. You know, that white people think they're a separate group anyway. You know, mm. that James Baldwin quote: "You can't necessarily change things, but unless you face it, you have no chance of changing it." Right. To mm. actually make it visible for me is less horrifying because it's mm. just like, mm. you know, actually, what is it like to? around your room and you because that's what it's always like in yeah, therapy groups well, absolutely yeah i mean that is the norm of exactly things. Yes. but 
I guess what what isn't the normal things is that you're talking about racism, I suppose, in that setting. Yes. Yes, uh, yes. And I think one of the things that goes on with white people is that they think that racism doesn't exist until black people are in the room. Right. Or that they think there's nothing to say as a group of white people about racism because it right. only comes into being right. when right. when there's black people in the room, which okay. I think is something that really needs to be... Mm. Um, examined. Yes. Yes, you know, no, it's going on in us all the time, the yeah. privilege, the assumptions, but, you know, we don't notice it unless... Unless you're with you the other. Yes, unless with we're it. with the other. Yes. Right, and, yeah. and, and we manage to not be with the other most of the time, so it's fine. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Okay, interesting, yeah. I mean, living in the race, you know, the world is constructed around race quite a lot, isn't it? Um, to, to think you're going to step out of that somehow yeah separate yourself from it from society is, is kind of a big a big tall ask but people do think that don't they? they feel that they can step out because they're not normally faced yes. with it so it's not very visible yes um and it's only visible when they say when there's a person of color there mm. yes mm. it actually comes into being i think that's a very interesting yeah actually important point yes as well yes and i think that is the responsibility of white people and white therapists to say no it's you know it isn't just in that setting it's actually you know yes. and it's even more important for for all white therapy training groups mm. to be looking at it yes okay so you announce the group you send out your emails uh, people respond. Obviously, you got your own feelings about what the group might look like and what mm. it might feel like. Mm. Um, did you have any expectations or about what it would what would happen uh, or fears, and were, were those realised? As I say, one of my fears was that we'd end up kind of having to deal with a conversation about well, we're all the same, really. Anyway, some kind of denial right. of racism, and that didn't happen. So I was really, really, you know, kind of politically that people kind of. Uh, at least start it from the position of acknowledging yes. that there is racism. Yes. I wanted it to be a group where I could feel whatever I felt um, and not have to filter to worry about how it might be perceived. Yeah, I did feel free to speak. You felt less filtered in that in that space, so you could just sort of say yes, more than... But that's my caretaker in me would be right. kind of wanting to check out, you know, is, it, is this okay for you if mm. I speak from my white position? Mm-hmm. There were kind of younger th- therapists there and therapists that were new to the profession who'd actually heard about it from social media rather okay. than, you know, they, they were obviously interested in yes. white identity yes. Yes. and looking at privilege. Mm. Okay. And they were like, thank God, there's some therapist talking about it. And they were looking for something mm. and, and mm. it was there. Mm. And, but they didn't come through PCSR mm. or therapy organisations. Mm. Mm. They came through looking at white identity mm. right, right. and found us, but it matched for them. Yes, yes. And I thought, thank God we're providing a space because that's not going to be, they're not going to find that in BACP or UKCP or no. on their training. no. So it felt like that. That's quite, and they're young. They're yes. they're just beginning yes. the profession, and mm-hmm. I, that gave me some hope. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That gave me some hope because it mattered to them. Yes. Were you aware of any of any group like this happening before, or anyone in the group attended anything like this before? Um, or was this the first for everyone in the group? I attended a whiteness group a uh, workshop run by Judy Wright but it wasn't for white it wasn't just for white therapists okay but it was about whiteness that was years ago right. and it was very small so but yes um, 
But no, I don't think anybody mentioned having done anything like that before. Anything no. that was just for white therapists to look at whiteness, no. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard anything like that before. Mm. Um, it's been something that's been talked about in various places I've gone to as people have been kind of interested to perhaps mm. set it up and think about it mm. um, and to do it. And I've kind of, yeah, I'd, you know, I'd really like to I'd support that. There was quite a lot of interest and interest to keep it going as well, like okay. kind of that idea of you've kind of scratched the surface and yes, yes. there's more here and setting up something ongoing. So hopefully it, it will be. Going in, did you sort of think, did you have a structure in mind? OK, we're going to be doing this and then we're going to go on to that. And then, or were you just just, just seeing what happened? It's a group of people. Um, let's just see where this, where this goes. Is that the sort of general? Mm-hmm. Yes, no yeah. structure, no structure. I mean, psychotherapists and counsellors for social responsibility has had events that we call pop-ups right. that are, run along these lines before. Okay. So okay. where people just come and speak about yeah. whatever the topic is. Having said that, it wasn't an unheld group in no. that B and I know each other quite well. Um, trust each other you know I certainly felt that I was there and present mm, and mm, and mm. you were and yes, yes. that we could hold it and and be there so it wasn't a completely kind of unstructured unfacilitated yes well, and people did talk about feeling more exposed than they expected more vulnerable mm, than they expected mm, that right. they were articulating things that they hadn't articulated in a group before all of which was really good to hear that Mm. you know that Mm. people were yeah using the opportunity Mm. to go Mm. places that were shameful scary Mm. um yeah yeah i was thinking about the people who i spoke to perhaps were thinking oh i'm not quite sure i want to go to that group um i'm wondering if if they knew who was holding it whether that would be different yeah because they don't know who's holding it and is and there, maybe is that there wasn't someone explicit. competent to hold it you know, yes. someone who's got all the yes. things they need yes. uh, at least Will you know I to a safe? point where they're kind yes. of does that person exist and is it just going to be a free for all you know so maybe yes. the holding of the group maybe that might have been a I mean I think that's always a fear even in the groups that, that I run at Barton yes it's like who's holding it really is the important thing isn't it because it's part yes. of the safety, isn't it? Yes, yes. Very yes. Much so yeah. And I think people have a, a, a general sense that there's maybe quite a few people of colour who are good at holding those kind of spaces. So they have a kind of a sense that there's yes. these people around all over the place. And but, but maybe because this space is so unique, mm. it's kind of like, well, who's mm. going to be who's going to be that person? Mm. Yes, and who's going to be the person what holding? Qualifies them to do that. Yeah, and how can I ship? know it's going to be? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And so I was mm-hmm. just wondering if that was also part of the people I spoke to, maybe part of their concern was that there's, you know, yes. is there going to be... If you're going to into this highly charged... Yeah. Um, who's going who's to be holding the show here? Because it, yes. it could be a, a, a car crash. Mm. Yeah. I'm not sure. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I've got, um, yeah, because I, so, I think you've covered the kind of areas that I was curious about. Mm. Um, I just wonder if there's anything else you might want to just say... Only that it's ongoing. Yeah. And that there will be there will be this ongoing group about uh, um, examining whiteness mm-hmm. and maybe another more open group to bring more people in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to be able to find a way using the positions that I have mm-hmm. or the platforms that I have mm-hmm. to speak, to talk, to write as a therapist, not just in the in the counselling room, but 
you know, being invited to do things that's empathic to who's there, but that's potent mm. or that's meaningful or mm. that's challenging or that's that uses the privilege and power and position that I have, mm. recognize I have it and use it to mm. say, you know, this is this is our issue white people in this room because it usually is mm -hmm. <laughs> you know hard to find a way in mm -hmm. um, well it sounds like that's sort of part of the process isn't it of yeah. finding your voice I think which also black people of colour kind of have to figure out a way yes. for that to happen as well yes. so in a there, is, there way. is a kind of a, a tension between you know needing to say what you need to say and between you know, the emotions that get evoked, that come back on you. Yes. Um, do you have enough resources, first of all, to, to sort of manage that? Mm. Yes. Do you, and if you don't, then it's probably best to not to, to get those resources first. Yes. <laughs> before you go into it, because... Um, it does it, provoke. It, it does provoke, and it does, um, you know, without those resources. So, so however you say it, it's provocative, I guess. It is. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There are also places where it's easier... Yes. to find your voice and feels like maybe this group would be a, you know a good place for people to find their voices in some mm. way mm. Um, because mm. I think that's the experience of the groups that I run mm. people mm. you know they're in their training groups or wherever they are mm. and um, you know they, they, they just can't speak yeah it's they the silence speak. if someone else speaks on their behalf it's just too much um, mm. obviously they, they prefer that but I think there's some, something dangerous about speaking Yes, and um, and uh, and then to kind of to be in the groups to sort of get your mm. voice going to mm. generate something, mm. to kind of just get the wheels turning mm. Mm. when you're out in the world. Mm. Um, it sort of becomes a, a easier. That's it's really still helpful. Be, it's still going to be yeah. hard. It's, you know, I'm not saying it's, you're just going to sail into the sunset and have a great, great conversation all over the place. But you know, has that happened of, for you, Eugene? It has on occasions. <laughs> Um, you just find the, the yes. places where where the conversations that's happen really more, helpful in a, in that's a sort of really easier helpful. way. Mm. Um, and there's going to be some conversations that there's, there's no way there's going to be a conversation here. Yes, and, um, but what you're saying is to find your voice. To find your voice. To really um, find it in a grounded way and have the resources to, yeah. to sustain. To and which sustain. is normally other people, really, isn't it, for the most part? Yeah. So to, to speak is mm. to feel... A fear, and to you know, sometimes even experience it. Mm. Thank you very much, um, Suzanne and B, for um, spending some time thinking with me about these groups. Um, it's been really good to speak to you, and um, yeah, just Thank thanks again. I was talking with B Miller and Suzanne Keys about the workshop they facilitated called "Examining Whiteness: White Identity and Racism." To find out more about Barton, the training that we run, and the groups that we do please visit us at our website, www.baatn.org.uk. Whilst you're there, you can also leave your thoughts on the Barton Podcast page. I hope you can join us for the next podcast, but until then, goodbye.